Holly, hello, it's Uva Ball. Hello, welcome to Uva Ball Raw with Uva Ball and Gary Otto. Uh, you just got back from New York City, the Big Apple. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, we, uh, we did one from New York, right, during the shoot, and uh, then I got really busy, really hectic, and now the movie is in the can. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to editing now and um, moving on, but we had a lot of, let's say, in a way, turmoil, not really because of the film per se so uh brooklyn and staten island long, like long island uh new jersey queens manhattan we shot everywhere and uh i think the movie looks great we shot with the uh ari alexa uh cost three hundred thousand dollars a camera but oh. we just rented it but we have the camera what all the major movies getting basically shot on and that is very good because sort of view, CinemaScope, theatrical view uh, is basically there and we can really deliver it. All the actors were uh, very good um, and totally into it. Not only like Kristen Renton and Gino Pizzi uh, for the leads, but also like James Megaman. He was the one of the lead of Orange is the New Black, Gary Pastore who was in all the films from uh, uh, 11 films from Martin Scorsese, always playing like uh, mafia guys. And he played a mafia guy in our film. Um, so he was last in The Irishman. He was in The Deuce, that the TV show uh, with James Franco. And Daniel Sawley, who also was in The Deuce, uh, the lead bad guy, basically, and has a lot of credits. Uh, Willie C. Carpenter, who was in hundreds of films, played Willie, the old uh, guy who's getting a heart attack and then the cops have to take care of his dog uh, during he's in the hospital. So we have Tango, the dog, who's actually Gino's dog, played, uh, played that dog in the film, had a great time. And um, so, so the dog is like an actor too. Yeah, in a way, yes. And it, it made sense because most of the time the dog is with Gino. In the film and so he's the real owner so it was like cozy and um easy peasy also he listened to gino of course and uh, so i think we have in the very end a film what is uh sometimes like a thriller like a cop thriller some very hard scenes and violent scenes with the mafia and with uh, also like a family where the, the husband kills everybody and uh, or bullet a guy um, uh, Oliver uh, Stafford played him. He's a guy who's like under drugs, stabbing somebody and then hurting himself. And then uh, our cops have to like overturn him, put him in, in also in the hospital first. And so intense scenes, but at the same time a lot of humor between uh, Kristen and Gino. You know they are like that cops who have to work the first day together and a lot of things don't work out of course and he doesn't want a partner so the classical scenario we had in a lot of like lethal weapon uh, bad boys and stuff like this uh, scenarios you know like un unlikely partners teaming up and then over the day they getting getting 
forming a bond, right? So based on fear, uh, thriller scenes, but also like, of course, the dog is this kind of human melodramatic drama touch to it. What I think the audience will love that with the dog. There are a lot of scenes with the dog. And also, of course, the the hopeful uh, situation that the, the will that old guy, will he survive? And is he getting his dog back? So I think we have here uh, uh, overall, uh, in the end, a very, very good film uh, with excellent camera, with, with excellent actors. And of course, you cannot exchange New York with another location. Like uh, we know there's a lot of locations they faking New York, like Toronto, Vancouver, whatever. But you can't really, if you're there, you know why. And we shot everything not in the studio. We shot everything on original locations. What also, um, of course, is, um, yeah, unusual, you know, but because when you watch like Law and Order and Blue Bloods and all that shows, you have uh, a lot of, let's say, studio or fake stuff, right? And we shot actually in an old police office. We shot wherever we went, it's original stuff. And I think that helped the film. It makes it, it, makes it real, yeah. you know? So, and uh, the, the, the negative parts were like, we had trouble with uh, a lot of like the crew who signed on to do the film non-union and they all got very good pays per day based on uh, contracts they signed, right? And then they wanted to flip the film to be union after a few days. And, uh, but we didn't recognize the, the union, uh, because we said, look, we have contracts with everybody. We cannot just, especially with a film like this, an independent film uh, with not a lot of money attached in a way, should be supported by the unions also, you know, and they should be like uh, um, not trying to destroy a film. Yeah, I saw that. I, I saw that they were trying to get people, they were calling people scabs. They were saying, don't, don't uh, cross the picket lines. Mm -hmm. It's like you were being targeted. Yes, they tried to basically shut down the film if we don't like obey or sign with the union. But look, you have a limited budget. And we said before, look, everybody was happy with the contracts. And then behind our back, they tried to. Uh, so just uh, one or two unhappy people made it seem like it was a lot bigger than it was. Yeah, there were really like only one or two were the initial people, but they they uh, railed it all up and uh, yeah. in the end, uh, 20 people stopped working for us and oh my uh, God. basically breached the contract with uh, the line producing company. And uh, so, you know, it's like ridiculous. And uh, no, yeah, but we survived it. Uh, we had another crew jumping in, but of course it, it, it would be nicer to not have all that stress and to have like not to replace everybody in uh, like one third in, into the show. Um, well, and, uh, time is money, right? Yes. And we, then they had to basically I run around and I was my own AD then in the end, you know. So it's, it's this kind of like where I felt a little remember to the old times of German fright movie, my very first film where Frank Lustig and I did a lot of positions ourselves. Right. So, and here uh, I found I find myself like 20, uh, 20, like almost 30 years later from my first film. And I'm running around like I'm an AD and a prop person uh, <laughs> uh, myself, you know. 
and that is also I think what the what the union should think about is uh, because New York, from what I heard, is suffering. You know, people don't want to shoot in New York because it's so expensive. Yeah. And I said that before, I think in our first podcast, I said that the daily rate of a lot of uh, New York crew people are almost double of Van what Vancouver is, even almost like one third, 40% higher as what it is in LA. And if you go to the right of work states, if you go to, to uh, whatever, New Orleans, Atlanta, whatever, the crew is way cheaper. And also the hotels are way cheaper. You know, well, they, also for scenes where they have to shut down uh, like parts of the city, that costs a lot of money. Yeah, you know, and it is, it's like this kind of like, I have to say the police in New York is very helpful. They're very positive and very times police on set and uh, helping us shooting. And they, they are really helping productions and uh, easy going. And, you know, when you say, look, can you quick interrupt the traffic for a moment? They, they, they do this, right? So they don't lock, lock a street up for like two hours, but they lock a street up uh, for a few minutes for you. That's and, good. That's yeah, good. Yes. And that is like, the, so that is still like New York is still a great location in regards of what you get in front of the camera. You know, if you shoot under the bridge, like we shot there where French Connection was going, we shot in the park, uh, uh, you know, where parts where Ghostbusters was shot and stuff like this, we shot all over the city. And that is not what I, that is what I love in New York, right? And of course, there is amazing acting talent. So you have like uh, even small parts, you have uh, very, like very, very good actors taking even small parts of people. They were uh, regulars on big TV shows or even feature films. And so that is, that is all the good part. But that move was like throwing me off because it was also... And we discussed that also with the actors during the show, shoot. This kind of like, you had the feeling these people are just not really loving film anymore. They're just there for the money. And if they think they can blackmail you into uh, uh, making more money, even if uh, they're pissing off everybody else on set, uh, you know, and on the production, they don't care at all. And no, uh, what was then when they when they recognized that we actually kept shooting without them and replaced them, I think they felt very very uh, resentful, you know, and then posted shit on social media or uh, uh, had like various uh, um, like anonymous things. They they went to PETA, the animal organization, and told them. There is a dog getting badly treated on set. Right? <laughs> and, and that from me, from Uwe Ball, you know, everybody knows how much I love animals. I saved various dogs on Blood Rain. I gave various money to totally different, not only Peter, but also other organizations. And then Peter emailed me and said, we know Uwe, you love dogs. And then Gino, the dog owner, and Kristen, uh, who has four dogs, also at home, three dogs, like like find a dog like people like like adopted dogs right she has said and we shot in an animal shelter uh in in the film where we overpaid them so we gave them basically a big donation for the animal shelter uh, uh for a scene and of course that's, the that's dog... nice that peter was on your side though that's no, no, they, 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 yeah they, they asked me what is about this this uh, anonymous threat you know and then i uh, yeah, and we both, we all three wrote back and sent photos, and they said, "Yeah, we know it's all good." So, and that is the same, you know. It's like so. This crew was not only in, they were full of entitlement and resentment, 
and uh, behind our back collected like 21 signatures to make the union getting the, the union active. And I think also that they maybe lied to the union about all kinds of stuff so that the union, the Ayatzi union got involved in it, maybe based on wrong informations, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I think um, if they would look deeper into uh, the, the facts, they should actually expel one or two people from their union who try to just use the union to squeeze more money out of uh, the production. And it's, we're not Netflix, right? We're not Amazon, we're not Warner Brothers. So what is the sense of a union? Why are union existing? The unions existed and I'm all pro-union and most of my films were completely union driven, right? So, but if you uh, have a film, an art house film where everybody takes even the actors like favorite nations and taking way less money as they normally get, then unions should also uh, say, we're supporting this and let's do this, right? And when take, take our gaffer, our gaffer got 700 bucks a day. So why he's acting, he's bad, like, you know, why he wants even more money. That is ridiculous. 700 bucks is 250 more as a gaffer gets in like in Vancouver. Yeah. Right. Per day. So why these people want even more? It's the poor greed and and the, the don't care about the product. And that is totally absurd. You know that and they're acting, of course, like to the union, they, they, they're in a way two faced. Right. They're, they're acting. They're getting abused by the production. They're getting, uh, you know, like stuff like this. But they worked very good with me together the first days. And we had never overtime. We never had long days. We have, I'm very known for shooting fast and efficient, always with two cameras rolling. Right? Yeah. So, and, and so they, they, they didn't, and then the whole time they told us, it's not about the money. It's not about this and not about that. But in reality, of course, it was only about the money and it was only greed. And um, the thing is that, uh, um, so I don't know why they're then in the film industry and they shouldn't tell the normal people on the street, you know, like somebody like working class people, they're making 2000, 3000, 4000 bucks a month. And I don't think that technical crew of a film should act the whole time like, uh, uh, you know, that, that they should act like this kind of, uh, they are poor working class people who works on major shows or works on features, works on TV shows. Well, dude. Technical crew makes 15, 20,000 bucks a month. If you work 20 days in a month and you get 20 times 700, this is $14,000. So please don't act that you are an abused, poor person. No, you're a total overpaid person who basically have the qualification like a car mechanic has or a carpenter or any other type of person. <laughs> and you should not for real. And you should make five, six thousand bucks a month. No, those are, the, those are the kind yeah. of people that I dropped out of film school to get away from. The kind of people yeah. who like, it's not about the art. It's about who they can impress or, you know, name dropping. I'm important. I'm special. And then they try to fucking blackmail productions. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I had like two crew members came before to me and said, oh, I grew up with House of the I grew up with your films. Young people, right? So 
they're like 30 now, 33, whatever, 34. And they're like, I'm a big fan of you and had to sign like posters or whatever, right? And then the same people uh, want to strike on your film, want like a picket line and want to like uh, stopping the production and hurt the director where they say they're a big fan of you or whatever. But they had no hesitation to do this. They had no hesitation to try to destroy the film that the yeah. film would not in the, sh in the that I would never make the film. They would stop the shooting and then we would have collateral damage. And that is the same where, uh, I mean, I will file a complaint to the producer's guild, to the director's guild uh, about this behavior from the union and also the individual behavior uh, uh, like people defamed me online, you know, I maybe do a defamation uh, lawsuit and they may, of course, damage the production and it's also not okay. And I think that uh, after now settling back in, uh, we have to uh, work with the aftermath about it, you know, and then we have to basically move forward and leave the past behind us because I think we overall have a strong film. And yeah, you uh, got through it. That's what matters, right? Yes, you know, that matters. And I think also that it's very important that there is that old say when, when what I said about like one of my favorite writers, Thomas Berner, uh, the Austrian writer, who said, like, in, in very uh, decisive, decisive moments of your life, whatever, right? You cannot just give in. And I think that is like, like, very, very like, uh, important. Uh, things in your life you cannot just give in or give up and that is what we did right we pushed through and finished the film even without a prop master you know then we then we just took the props ourselves into the hands of the people or whatever like you know and i think that was very important and i'm very proud of all the actors who um totally um, ignored that and stayed on and uh, didn't fell into the the bullshit trap, you know. And the SAC, the Screen Actors Guild, that is somebody you always can work with. We 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 were SAC on the film because it was clear we have a lot of actors they known. And of course, we signed a contract with SAC, and that is what we did before. And it's no problem. It was no problem at all, and everybody was happy. And the SAC is happy too. So, but. For me, the, the, the question in retrospective is why then these people didn't came before, uh, you know, before the, the, the show and said, we only work on shows that are full union, right? And they, they would tell, told us why signing contracts with us and then they break their own contracts they signed because, I mean, if, if they are like mentally capable to sign contracts, you know, then why they signed the contract I charge you 500 bucks a day, I charge you 700 bucks a day and send you an invoice, invoice. And then from day two on, you go behind the back and try to, to, to sign everything over to the union. And uh, from what I heard from crew also is they went out and threatened other crew members. If you don't sign, you get thrown out of the union. And uh, so, you know, and if that is true, then the question is, did the union initiate that or was the union cheated by them? And then that people uh, uh, who went there and collected the signatures and threatened the other people, uh, they should really get the problem with their union. You know, the union should say that it's not okay to act like this. Trying to make people think that they, like, they were calling people scabs. That's like... Uh... 
that's a that's a very heated uh, word. Like yeah. when the Daily News would strike, they would call people scabs if they crossed the picket line. So people are really sensitive to that that word. So of course, to get people to feed into what they were saying, they said, "Don't be a scab. Don't cross the picket line." And of course, the other person feels kind of trapped, kind of like, "Oh my god." So what do I do? Am I a scab or do I keep working? You know, like it's it's not cool. It's not cool. Oh, they pressured a lot of crew people. Also said, "Ah, I don't know what to do now." Blah blah blah. You know, yeah. They they felt like uh, uh, in the middle of everything, and then of course uh, uh, because they signed that that thing, what went to the union, they gave the rights. On, then they were basically signed to the union themselves so that they had to follow the orders of the union. Okay. And, uh, but why they signed that? Why they didn't came to Ari, like the producers there, and, and said, like, I'm getting pressured into signing this, right? So, and they signed, and then they felt the pressure. And that They were bad-mouthing Ari, too, online. Yeah, of course. And it was like, you know, and that is the thing... Um, very uh that gave the whole shoot of course a very stressful uh note where you where you shoot the film but you feel every day under stressed you know what bullshit they want to pull out of their ass against you uh, uh today you know with <laughs> more picket lines or whatever and stuff like this and um but i think it was not worth it for the for the union to uh to, to bring that pressure uh, to us. We did nothing wrong. We paid everybody good. We had e uh, easy shooting days and everything was fine. And that is why I think that the, the, uh, the people who initialized this kind of situation, um, they tried a power play. They, they were kind of sadistic orientated and uh, totally um, like not, not okay what they did. And I think uh, that is the thing also what um, the union should really think about it in the future. Look, the SAG, for example, they have agreements, uh, normal agreements, then they have low budget, then they have super low budget agreements to make it possible that SAG members, like actors, can work even on small art house films or small films privately financed. Okay. And I think the SAG is doing there the right thing. And I think the IATSE or other unions, they, they, they should adjust to this, right? They should say also, uh, we cannot have like full union or no union. And if it's no union, we fight it and try to destroy the shoot. I mean, what behavior is that? You want to bring uh, uh, like deals to New York if you want to advertise your city as a film city, you, you need to uh, make it easier for producers, easier for directors uh, to go there and to make it happen that things getting uh, uh, shot there and not like we lure them in and then we, we fuck them over and close their production to get even more money out of them. I mean, everybody who goes through this or went through it uh, has no interest to, to repeat this, 
Yeah. You know, I mean, I have no interest right now to ever go back to New York. I mean, that is electricity. Oh, that's too but, bad. Yeah, I know, but I love New York too, right? But but not not under the circumstances. And I think also maybe after COVID, New York was so hard hit with a lot of things, and they, uh, um, it looked like from ten years ago, if I compare it, way more dirty, you know, way more expensive. I think we said that in the first podcast we did like that. The DP Matthias went with his son to the Empire State Building and paid $170 to go up. <laughs> 85 bucks per person. I mean, you know, if we, that, that is like, that is is a scam. That That is like. That's fucking crazy. That is exactly. That is insane. But still, he said the elevator was full, right? The people went there and paid that money. And But will you come back? You know, if you're a tourist in New York, will you come back? If you get completely screwed over and you pay uh, uh, enormous amount, also food, like in the restaurants, it got so expensive, you know, yeah. and it was yeah. most, a lot of the restaurants I went to, they were not good. They were okay maximum, but whatever you eat like a, like a pork chop with potatoes and salad and you're like 40 bucks in, I mean, what the fuck, you know, or Italians where you get like not even a huge portion of like spaghetti with meatballs. And it's now like $25. A lot of the really good restaurants have closed, man. Yeah, they also like gave up. They closed. And uh, uh, of course, we we found like some uh, great spots too, like Meadows Suites in in Williamsburg. It was a great restaurant. Uh, uh, Even I think it had a Michelin star, but it had totally normal food. Like where you had like a chicken roulade or you got even a burger but the burger was so sensational it was like 25 bucks but it was so sensational uh the best burger i ever had so i the meadow sweets i totally record like uh, recommend and then we had across the street from it is that old steakhouse i think in north america the peter lugo one like that is expensive but the steak is really the best in the world i mean and you have like on the menu you have steak for two steak for three steak for four you basically get the porterhouse in different sizes and I was there twice, once with the actors and one with, with uh, other friends. And um, so, of course, you, you have big food highlights, you know. But this time I was not in Manhattan, I stayed in Brooklyn. And with the tram, with the, with the subway or tram, it took me one and a half hours almost to get to the Central Park. Oh, and, man. Yeah, yeah. And I did that only once. So it was only once in the Central Park. I enjoyed it, whatever. But when I shot the Southern Wall Street, I was at the actually where the World Trade Center was in the hotel. But then when you when you're in Manhattan, you can easier reach everything faster, you know. Yeah. Then it takes you twenty minutes. So I was all the time in the Central Park. It takes you twenty minutes. And uh, but from from Brooklyn, you go with the L line or M line, then you go over to Union or Grand, and then you have to move again. And then it was like sometimes the thing didn't came and you were standing like 15 minutes on the spot before a tram came. So it was this kind of like uh, too much work to go to the, to the uh, Central Park. So I mostly walked to get a little green or a little fresh air when I had time to uh, in Brooklyn to the waterfront, basically, where that little parks are and have a good, good view to the, the Williamsburg Bridge. And, and uh, I should have told you that when you're on the subway, yeah. never lean up against anything. Because I remember one night I leaned up against the pole and fucking all these roaches were crawling on me. Ugh. Yeah, no, there's a lot of like it was no overall, like 
I, I photographed dirty like on Twitter. I uh, put, put it up like Brooklyn with the dead rat. I saw so many rats and uh, I was in a hotel 42 and it's right where the Broadway is with the okay. with train, right? So it was like, you had to get through it that it's loud all the time. And when the train doesn't come, you have um, the total, uh, the police the whole time, sirens the whole day, the whole night, wherever you go, sirens, 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 and you have ambulance, uh, uh, fire trucks, police. And uh, the hotel is nice, but I mean, the position is just like a total disaster in a way, you know? And um, Plus, a I, lot of the hotels are really small in Midtown. Yes. I mean, I, as I said, I was in, in, in Williamsburg, and, uh, but I looked at the pricing in Manhattan before, and it's like, if you book a hotel in Manhattan, like let's say a four-star, not a five-star, four-star in Manhattan for a month, you're like 12,000 bucks in. Yeah. Yeah. And it is ridiculous, right? So I paid 5,800 at the 42nd. And I mean, the thing is, if you shoot a film, you're working all the time. And you basically sleep in the room, but, uh, you know, watch a show, sleep. And I was so tired and also being my own, uh, my own everything on the set for, for, <laughs> you know, for, for the last like 10 days where I really had to uh, um, do a lot of positions myself. But on the other hand, I felt also like uh, I can do it all. You know, it's this kind of like you remember that you started with nothing and that you had to do everything on your own. Yeah. And I went back to that mood, you know, like telling the car drivers what corner they have to come around and break and, uh, you know, and, and stuff like this. And uh, we had a, a like some of the crew, like Bella, a German guy who lived there a longer time. He worked on the crew and a very good job. He really did a good communication. Um uh, we we had a very good like Vitaly, uh, like from I think Ukraine or Russia, but he did a great job with the cameras and uh, helping everybody put cameras uh, together and stuff like this. Um, you know, there were like uh, Anthony uh, behind the the uh, the curtain helped a lot, Anthony Argento to make the production a success, and uh, so there were there were some good good crew. You know, Robert Joseph Taylor, the production designer, and this whole crew was very good. And uh, so you had. So you're very lucky that you had such a skilled crew, honestly. Yeah. And yeah, no, that is the thing. I was lucky with some of the crew, and other crew disappeared, right? And the new crew uh, sometimes didn't have the quality, but our. Uh, sound guy, the new sound guy who came was excellent. He was better as the first sound guy. And uh, some positions who came later, the did the, the the digital transfer guy. He was better as the first guy. So some people came were actually better as the first crew. And uh, but overall, we didn't. We were not able to uh, uh, find a lot of uh, like position. Like some positions we couldn't we couldn't really fill. You know. And hey, it sounds like I, I should have been there, man. I would have helped. 
Yeah, I know, but I told you you should come. I would pay the flight. <laughs> I so, know. I regret it now. I wish yeah, I would have yeah, gone. I know. We could totally use you there. Like, uh, but when the shit hits the fan, you know, then it's just like you have to perform every day and you just go through it. And that's what we did. And I'm happy that we we all uh, worked our asses off and made the film possible. And now we have something we, we are proud of. And, uh, now yeah, but it is... Uh, as I said, we will see, we will keep talking about it. We will keep talking about um, what's happening to the film. And uh, um, now the post-production started. And of course, that will take a few months. My plan is to uh, bring the film to festivals, uh, maybe the American Film Market in November, but the festival maybe in Toronto, uh, some festivals before. Um, Sundance, Sundance. Yes, but Sundance is in January. That would be too long. Oh. You know, when the, the film will be done in August. Okay. Yeah, so, and then uh, you really want to wait half a year. You know, if Sundance would say we play it, if you keep it as a premiere for us, then we, we then I'm happy to do Sundance, right? But if, if, if you're just guessing, yeah, you cannot bet on Sundance takes you. you know? Well, you have a bigger chance with the stars that you've attached to get Sundance to say, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of good, like, this art house actors or... Uh, actors in where you feel like um, they can have a, a little comeback with the film but also B, they are a lot in like higher end productions and um, bringing this kind of valuable uh, uh, star power, you know, not the star power of like uh, Tom Cruise but the star power of good actors who are around a long time and who were uh, in tons and tons of productions and films and I think that will help the film a lot and uh, that is why New York overall uh, was it was good that we shot it there you know it was good in a, in a different con different country or in a different town it wouldn't work this way so positive so yeah so I think for the for the first podcast I'm still tired I'm still like in the uh, in the jet lag but for the first time, we can wrap it up today. I mean, we don't really have a lot of other things to talk about. I sent you that article today. Yeah. It was very interesting, you know, because it's, it, I, I feel like, in a way, the guy is right. It's like uh, when he said everything, everything, whatever, all at once, it's like a 140 minutes long TikTok video. <laughs> and uh, I, I was laughing when I read that, you know, because it's this kind of like, um, he's right. <laughs> he's right that he said that people don't like the movies anymore. You know, and that is the thing that people going into that Marvel films, even if they now have a lot of Black Adam, Shazam, Shazam, whatever, they all flopped. And I think that the people getting a tired of the superhero bullshit films, and B, they also um, have this kind of like, you know, when they say, but but they still do a hundred million or two hundred million uh, box office. Yes, but they're costing two hundred million each to make, and they're getting one hundred fifty million in advertising. So, are these films successes? Is the big question. A lot of them not. And the other thing is the people going into these films because nothing else is running. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah, you know, nothing else like films, also like Taxi Driver, whatever, like the old classic films, uh, Goodfellas, all that films. They had a 30 weeks theatrical showing. They, a lot of times, they just like developed a crowd after time. 
in today's time, if a film flops on the first weekend, you're off screen. That's the end, yeah. That's, that's the end. And I think it's also a big mistake of the exhibitors who blindly bank only on the tent poles. They're putting up the flyers, they're putting up the trailer, they're putting up the posters, you know, and the banners only on the big movies. And if you have a small movie, they don't even show your trailer. And then they say, see, it flopped. But the biggest advertising for a film is the trailer in the movie theaters that it gets shown. And that doesn't happen if you're not like from a major company, a major, major film. And I think that is a, is a deadly mistake. What the exhibitors do together with the studios who only bank all that bullshit Marvel films. You know, we have to face it. Like Wakanda forever is not Malcolm It. <laughs> you know, no, for real. It's like, it's a, a, a you know, that, that are not like uh, Black Lives Matter films. They, they, they're just like... It's not Black it's, history. It's the same yeah. bullshit like yeah. Shazam and Black Adam and Avengers. It doesn't matter how much they try to make that films like films of the resistance. It's like spoiled Hollywood people with 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 million private wells acting like they do something for the transgender, they do something for the black, they do something for the gay, they do something for whoever, right? It's all this political gameplay what's going on now, what is horrible. And instead yeah. of focusing on good stories, telling good stories with the right people in it, you know, no matter what color uh, of the skin, no matter race, whatever, no religion, you know, like stuff like this, it all doesn't matter. Start telling good stories again. Stories they make you really cry. They make you really feel something, like the like dances with wolves and stuff like this. Go for this, but also. Uh, like support films like First Shift, my film, because it's a good film. It's a film what makes you emotional and has good cast, right? Support this, go behind this festival, show this, you know? It's like, it's ridiculous what happened the last 10 years that we now have one superhero crap after the other and they just market it because they find, of course, they pay great actors playing all their parts, you know? And then they market it as like, it's the most important movie of the year. No, it's not. They're, kids They're all movies. bullshit, yeah. bullshit films without real impact on what's happening on this planet Earth, what happens in uh, uh, on the countries. Uh, they are all like fake important films and they're getting all that money behind it and they don't work. It's like, uh, you know, in earlier years when I was young, you had maybe five event films a year and that was it. You loved E.T., but there was not 50 ETs and 50 <laughs> Star Wars. You know, you had like this few films you can focus on every year who were like this kind of super high-end uh, uh, temple films. So you and, think less is more, basically. Yeah, less is more. Focus on other films and start, start telling good stories anymore and don't try to fulfill stupid like quota you know, like this kind of like, oh, we make a film and now we, we need one transgender, we need three Chinese, three blacks, 15, whatever, you know, like forget all this stuff. Write the parts so that good actors play it, no matter what the nation they're from, no matter what uh, skin colors they have. 
right? Yeah. So it's like it's it's the wrong the wrong thing we're doing here, and we we start sinking the ship, and and uh, people getting disengaged in uh, what films are running, and and you know after the Oscars they said like the the search engines went hot on everybody who got Oscars, but not the box office. Right. Yeah. So that, that is exactly what's happening. You get you get a boost because everybody writes about you. Now they all Google your name because you played the lead in uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, whatever. Right. And then and then one day later, they're all watching the next TikTok videos and give a shit about you. You know, and that that is different. It's also different that no stars getting made anymore. There are no more film stars. You know, yeah. it's like it's almost like Tom Cruise and Leonardo DiCaprio are the only people you have the feeling they're not totally selling out and they do only things they want to do, you know, and not like, oh, give me 100 million and I play now also uh, X-Men robot guy in the next Marvel bullshit. So, you know, and I think that that is very, very important that people who really love film like us, right, and a lot of other people really love film and really followed the film industry, the film history that we stay together and say, look, we want to tell great stories and uh, like making people think. I think that is the key. And I hope with, with First Shift, we made a, a, a little step in that right direction for my comeback. And, uh, you know, and I hope the film turns out good or really good. And uh, so, and then we continue with the next Uwe Ball films. Yes, uh, yes. Maybe absolutely. end of next year. I mean, that was the plan. The comeback is not a one-off. Uh, we continue making films. Yeah, so then we talk soon. Yes, everybody, yeah. please follow Uwe Ball on Twitter. He is Uwe Ball 7, right? Yes. Uwe Ball 7. And I'm Gary Otto Zero. You can follow me too. Uh, be sure to like the show and Subscribe to the show because we need to grow so we can keep giving you the quality content that you deserve. Absolutely. Okay. We will, yep. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.